Hello all my nieces and nephews, and welcome back to Auntie Jojo's Library. My library is open to all listeners, but it was originally created for my seven nieces and nephews. I wanted a way to keep in touch with them, since I don't get to see them all the time, so I thought there would be nothing better than reading a story with their favorite aunt. This episode, I'm going to be reading a Calico Illustrated Classics, A Christmas Carol. It's written by Charles Dickens and Lisa Malarkey, and it's illustrated by Howard McWilliam. I have permission from the publisher to read this story, and it is a chapter book. There's five chapters, and we're going to start off by reading chapters one and two. Marley's Ghost Marley was dead. There's no doubt about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Even Scrooge had signed it. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole administrator, his sole friend, his sole mourner. But even Scrooge wasn't sad at Marley's funeral. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the beginning. Marley was dead. If you don't believe that, then nothing wonderful will come of the story I'm about to tell you. Scrooge never painted over Marley's name. There it stood, years afterward, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge. Sometimes they called him Marley. It didn't matter. He'd answer to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but Scrooge was a tight-fisted hand at work. He was a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, clutching old sinner. The cold within him froze his old features. It nipped his pointed nose and shriveled his cheek. It stiffened his gait. It gave him eyes red and thin lips blue. A frosty ice was on his head, eyebrows and weary chin. He carried his own low temperature about him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw at one degree at Christmas. No warmth could warm him. No wintry weather could chill him. No wind that blew was bitter than he. Scrooge was fouler than the foulest weather. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to ask him in happy voices, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars asked him for anything. No children asked the time. Even the blind man's dog seemed to know him. When they saw him coming, they tugged their owners into the doorways. But what did Scrooge care? It was a very thing he liked. Once upon a time, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat in the counting house. It was bitter outside. He could hear people in the outside court stomping their feet upon the pavement to get warm. Although it was only three o'clock, it was already dark. The entire day had been dark and dank. Candles flickered in the windows. The fog was so thick that you couldn't make out the houses across the street. They were mere fathoms. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open. He wanted to keep an eye on his clerk. Scrooge had a small fire, but the clerk's fire was much smaller. It was so much smaller that it was almost out. The clerk couldn't replenish the fire because Scrooge kept the coal in the box in his room. What choice did the clerk have to put on his white comforter and try to warm himself with a candle? A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew. Bah! said Scrooge. Humbug! You don't mean that, Uncle, said his nephew. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas! 
What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, said the nephew happily. What right do you have to be so dismal? You're rich enough. Scrooge had the only answer he could think of. Bah, humbug. Don't be angry, uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools? Merry Christmas. What's Christmas to you but a time of paying bills without money? A time of finding yourself a year older? A time for balancing the books? If I had my way, everyone who wished a Merry Christmas would be boiled in his or her own pudding. Then he'd be buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle, pleaded the nephew. Nephew, Scrooge shot back. Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. What good has Christmas ever done to you? Keep it, repeated Scrooge's nephew. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then, said Scrooge. Christmas is a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of the year when men and women open their hearts freely to help those below them. Although it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good. It will do me good. I say, God bless it. The clerk applauded. When he sent Scrooge to Scuss, he poked the fire and extinguished the last little frail spark forever. Scrooge glared at the clerk. Let me hear one more word from you and you'll lose your job forever. He turned towards his nephew. You are quite a powerful speaker. I wonder why you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow, the nephew pleaded. Scrooge refused. But why, uncle? Why did you get married, asked Scrooge. Because I fell in love, answered the nephew. Because you fell in love, growled Scrooge, as if that were even more ridiculous than a merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Uncle, you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now, the nephew asked. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you, said the nephew. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so stubborn. We have never had a fight, but I have made this yearly journey in honor of Christmas. I'll keep my Christmas humor to the end. So, Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. And a Happy New Year, said the nephew. His nephew left the room without an angry word. He stopped to wish a good tidings to the clerk. Despite how cold the clerk was, he was much warmer than Scrooge and returned to glad tidings. There's another fellow, muttered Scrudge, who overheard the clerk, my clerk, with fifteen shillings a week, a wife, and a family, talking about Merry Christmas. Ha! The clerk, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, let two people in. They were chubby gents who stood with hats off. They carried books and papers and bowed to Scrooge. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the men, referring to his list. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead for seven years, replied Scrooge. Seven years this very night. We have no doubt his kindness is well represented by his surviving partner, said the gentleman. He presented his credentials. Marley and Scrooge had been two kindred spirits. At the ominous word kindness, Scrooge frowned. He shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive time of year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman, holding a pen, it's desirable to help the poor who suffer greatly. Many thousands are in need of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the man, laying down the pen. And workhouses? They're still here, said the man. I wish I could say they weren't. 
A few of us are raising funds to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time since glad tidings abound. How much shall I put you down for? asked the second man. Nothing, replied Scrooge. You wish to remain anonymous? the man asked. I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. I don't make merry myself at Christmas. I can't afford to make others merry. I support the workhouses and the prisons. They cost enough. Let them go there. Many can't go there. Many won't go there. Many would rather die than go to such places. If they rather die, let them, said Scrooge. They had better to do it and decrease the surplus of population. Seeing clearly that Scrooge was not a generous man, the men left. Scrooge was happy to see them off. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened. Even the ancient church bell that peeped slyly down to Scrooge became visible. The cold became intense. In the corner of the court, laborers repaired gas pipes. They lit a great fire where ragged men and boys gathered to keep warm. All were merry as they passed and jolted on the streets. Some sang songs to those who walked by. One young lad stopped at Scrooge's keyhole to sing him a carol. God rest ye merry, gentlemen, may nothing you dismay. At the first note, Scrooge grabbed his ruler with such force that the singer fled in terror. Finally, the hour came to shut the counting house. With ill will, Scrooge dismounted from the stool and snuffed out his candle. He glared at the clerk and put on his hat. I suppose you'll want a day off tomorrow? If convenient, sir, Mr. Cratchit replied. It's not convenient, said Scrooge. It's not fair to pay a day's wage for no work. It's only once a year, said the clerk. A poor excuse for a picking man's pocket every 25th of December. Scrooge buttoned his coat up to his chin, but I suppose you must have the whole day off. Be here all the earlier the next morning. The clerk promised he would as Scrooge walked away with a growl. The office was closed in a twinkling. The clerk, with his comfort hanging below the waist, went on his way. He stopped in the middle of the group of boys. In honor of it being Christmas Eve, he slid down a slide twenty times. He then ran home all the while wishing glad tidings to everyone he met. Scrooge took his dinner in his usual tavern. Having read all the newspapers and clutching his banker's book, he went home. He lived in the very house that once belonged to Marley. It was a large house, full of gloomy rooms. No one lived there but Scrooge. The other rooms were rented out to businesses. The yard was dark, too dark. Scrooge, who knew it's every stone, had to grope with his hand. Now it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door. True, it was large, but that is all. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it each day in his comings and goings. It also must be known that Scrooge hadn't thought once of Marley since his last mention earlier this afternoon. So let any man explain to me, if he can, how did Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, see in the knocker, not a knocker, but Marley's face? Jacob Marley's face. It was not a shadow as the other objects in the yard were. It had a dismal light around it. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked as Marley used to look. Ghostly glasses were turned up on his ghostly forehead. 
The knocker's hair was messed about. Although the eyes were wide open, they remained motionless. That and its livid color made it horrible to look at. Scrooge forced himself to look hard at it at once. It was once more a knocker. To say that he wasn't startled or that his blood didn't curl would be untrue, but he put his hand upon the key and turned it, walked in, and lit his candle. Scrooge paused before he shut the door. He looked cautiously behind the door. He half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out of the hall. But there was nothing there except Scrooge that held the knocker on. Pooh-pooh, said Scrooge as he closed the door with a bang. The sound of the slamming door echoed throughout the house. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He locked the door and walked up the stairs, trimming his candle as he went. It wasn't long before Scrooge's eyes played tricks on him again. He thought he saw a hearse traveling up the stairs. Scrooge rushed into his room and looked about to be sure all was all right. Sitting room, bedroom, bathroom, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, a small fire in the grate and food upon the stove, nobody under the bed, nobody in the dressing gown which was hanging on a hook. Quite satisfied, Scrooge closed his door and double-locked himself in. This secured him against a surprise. He took off his necktie and put on his dressing gown, slippers, and nightcap. He sat down before the fire to eat his gruel. Scrooge was forced to sit close to the fire as it burned low. The fireplace was an old one built by a Dutch merchant long ago. It was paved all around with quaint tiles depicting a scene from the Bible. Suddenly, Marley's face appeared in the tile. Humbug, said Scrooge as he walked across the room. After pacing a bit, he sat down again. As he threw his head back in the chair, he rested his eyes upon a bell, a bell that had no longer been used. Its purpose had been forgotten. As he looked at the bell, it began to swing. It swung softly at first, so softly it hardly made a sound. But soon it rang loudly, and it was followed by every bell in the house. This might have lasted a minute or two, but it seemed like an hour. The bells finally stopped as suddenly as they started. They were followed by a clanking noise down below. It was as if someone was dragging heavy chains over the barrels in the wine cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses often drag chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise, much louder, on the floors below. The noise came up the stairs and headed straight for his room. It's humbug still, said Scrooge. I won't believe it. His color changed when, without a pause, the ghost came through the heavy door and passed before his eyes. Upon it coming in, the flame from the candle leaped up. It was as though it cried, I know him! It's Marley's ghost! The same face... The very same face. Marley? Jacob Marley? In his pigtail, waistcoat, tights, and boots, the chain he drew was clasped in the middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail. Scrooge observed it was made from cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, and heavy purses twisted in steel. His body was transparent. Scrooge could make out the bed curtain buttons behind his coat. How now, said Scrooge, as cold as ever. What do you want with me? Much, said Marley's voice. Who are you? demanded Scrooge. Ask me who I was, Marley replied. 
Who were you then? asked Scrooge, raising his voice. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you sit down? asked Scrooge uncertainly. Scrooge didn't know whether a transparent ghost could sit down, but the ghost sat as if it were quite used to it. You don't believe me, said the ghost. I don't, said Scrooge. What evidence do you need? asked the ghost. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing could be tricking them, affecting them, Scrooge, Scrooge replied. You could be a bit of undigested beef, an illness, humbug. I tell you, humbug. At this, the spirit raised a frightful cry. He shook his chains with such noise that Scrooge held onto his chair to save from falling. But how much greater was his horror now? The spirit, taking off the bandage around his head, let him lower his jaw down to his chest. Scrooge fell upon his knees. He clasped his hands before his face. Mercy, dreadful spirit, why do you trouble me? Please tell me why. Man of the worldly mind, replied the ghost, do you believe me or not? I do, said Scrooge, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every man, the ghost said. The spirit must walk among his fellow man and travel far and wide. If that spirit does not go forth in life, it must do so after death. It is doomed to wander the world. Oh, woe is me. It must witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned into happiness. Again, the ghost let out another cry. He shook his chain and wrung his shadowy hands. You are chained, said Scrooge, trembling. T Tell me why the chains bind you. I wear the chains I forged in life, replied Marley. I made it link by link. Yard by yard, I fastened it on my own free will. I wear it of my own free will. Is that strange to you? Scrooge trembled even more. His breathing quit quickened. Do you know, said the ghost, the weight and length of the coil you bear yourself? It was as heavy and as long as this seven years ago. You have labored in it since. It is a bulky chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor. He expected to see himself surrounded by three hundred feet of iron cable. He saw none. Jacob, he cried. Old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak to me. Console me, Jacob. You must. I have no comfort to give, Marley said. It comes from the other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge. I cannot rest. I cannot stay or linger. Mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. Weary journeys lie before me. Seven years dead and traveling all this time? asked Scrooge. The whole time, said the ghost. No rest, no peace, only constant torture of remorse. You must have covered a great area of land during those seven years, Scrooge remarked. The ghost, on hearing this, let out another cry and clanked his chains. Look at me! I am captive by my chains. You know that regret cannot make amends. But you were always such a good man of business, Jacob, said Scrooge. He couldn't stop thinking about how this could apply to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business. Charity and mercy were all my business. He held up his chains as if that was the cause of his grief. He flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of year, I suffer most. 
Why did I walk through crowds with my eyes turned down? I never raised them to that blessed star that led the wise men to the poor home. Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge quaked and trembled with the greatest fear yet. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. How is it that I appear before you in a shape you can see? I have no clue. I have sat invisible beside you for many days now. Scrooge wiped sweat from his brow. That is no light part of my penance, Marley said. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance. You have hope of escaping my fate. A chance, Ebenezer. You are always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank you. You will be haunted, said the ghost, by three spirits. It, is that the chance and hope you mentioned, asked Scrooge? It is, Marley replied. Then I'd, I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visit, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first one tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I make them all come at once, Scrooge asked, to get it over with? Expect the second one the next night at the same hour, the third at the stroke of midnight. Look to me no more. For your own sake, remember what passed between us. Marley took his bandage from his table and put it around his head. He walked away from Scrooge. With each step backward, the window raised a little. When the ghost reached it, it was wide open. He beckoned Scrooge to approach. When they were in two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up his hand. He warned him to come closer. Scrooge stopped in surprise and fear, for he heard noises down below, wailings and sorrowful sounds. The ghost listened for a minute before joining. Then he floated up upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed the window. Despite the curtains, he looked out. The air was filled with phantoms wandering about and moaning. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some were linked together. Scrooge had known many of them when they were alive. He had been quite familiar with one of the old ghosts in a white coat and a huge iron safe attached to his ankle. He cried when he was unable to help women with an infant. The misery with them was all clear. They sought the chance to help in human matters, but had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into the mist or the mist covered them, Scrooge could not tell. But they and their voices faded together. The night had been as it was when Scrooge walked home. Scrooge closed the window, then he examined the door that the ghost entered. It was double locked. The bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. He went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep instantly. Let's take a short break before we start chapter two. Let's get started. Chapter two, the first of the three spirits. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark. He wasn't sure what hour it was. He listened for the church bell. He was astonished when it went from five to six, six to seven, seven to eight, up to twelve. Twelve? It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have gotten into the cranks. It was wrong. Twelve? Why, it isn't possible, said Scrooge. Could I have slept through a whole day into another night? Could something have happened to the sun? Could this be twelve noon? The idea alarmed him. He scrambled out of bed and ran to the window. He rubbed off the frost with his sleeve. Even then, he could see very little. It was cold and dark out there, 
no noise of people running about was heard. I surely must be right. How can it be night? Night? Scrooge went to bed again, although he thought and thought he could make no sense of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was. The more he tried not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him a great deal. Every time he convinced himself that it was all a dream, his mind questioned him. Scrooge lay thinking of this when the clock struck three quarters more. He suddenly remembered that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the clock struck one. He resolved to stay awake until the hour passed. Those next fifteen minutes were long, so long that he tried to convince himself he dozed off and missed the clock. Finally, he heard it. Ding dong. A quarter past, said Scrooge, counting. Ding dong. Half past, said Scrooge. Ding dong. A quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding dong. The hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly. Nothing else. He spoke too soon. As the hour bell rang, lights flashed upon the room. The curtains were drawn. Those curtains, I tell you, were drawn aside by hand. A hand. Scrooge found himself face to face with a unearthly visitor. He was as close to him as I am to you. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet like an old man as well. Its proportions were that of a child's. Its hair was hung down. Its back was white like an old man's, yet the face had no wrinkles. The arms were long and muscular. The hands were the same. The legs were strong as well. It wore a white tunic and was bound by a belt. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand. In contrast, the wintry seeds, its dress was trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that its head was crowned by a bright, clear jet of light. It held a cap under its arm. Then Scrooge noticed its body parts. They vanished before coming back to focus. One leg would vanish and twenty more would come in the place. Then a pair of legs with no head, then just the head with no body. It was all odd, quite strange. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am, said the spirit, with a voice that was soft and gentle. Who and what are you? demanded Scrooge. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? asked Scrooge. He noticed his short height. No, your past. Scrooge begged the ghost to put his cap over his bright, illuminating head. What? yelled the ghost. Why would you put out the light I give? It is not enough. You are one of those who forced me to wear it low on my brow for years. Scrooge claimed he never meant for anyone to cover his brow. Then he boldly asked the business brought him here. Your welfare brought me here, said the ghost. It put out its strong hand and clasped Scrooge gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me. Scrooge could have protested. He could have said that his bed was warm, or he was wearing only slippers on his feet, just a dressing gown and a nightcap for clothes. He could have said that the temperature was far too cold, but he found the spirit's class was not to be resisted. The spirit, in its way, went to the window. I'm immortal, said Scrooge. I I'll fall. The spirit put his hand on Scrooge's heart. My hand will uphold you. As the words were spoken, Scrooge and the spirit passed through the wall. They stood on an open country road. The city had disappeared. 
the darkness and the mist disappeared along with it. Now it was clear, cold, wintry snow was heaping upon the ground. G Good heaven, said Scrooge, clasping his hands together. I was born in this place. I was a boy here. Scrooge became aware of a thousand odors in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts, hopes, joys, cares that had been long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, said the ghost. And what is that upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered and with an unusual cracking in his voice, a pimple. He then begged the ghost to lead him. You remember the way? asked the spirit. Remember it, cried Scrooge. I could walk it blindfolded. Strange that you have forgotten it for so many years, observed the ghost. Let's go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate, post, and tree. Finally, a little marked town appeared in the distance. He could see the bridge, the winding river, and the ponies trotting towards them. Boys rode upon their backs. The boys laughed and shouted at each other. The air was filled with a merry music. These are the shadows of the things that have been, the ghost said. They have no awareness that we're here. The boys rode by. As they did, Scrooge could name each one. Why was he happy beyond anything to see each one? Why did his cold eyes glisten and his heart leap up as they passed? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them wish each other Merry Christmas? What was a Merry Christmas to Scrooge? What good had it ever done him? The school is not deserted, said the ghost. A child, neglected by his friends, is left inside. Scrooge said he knew it. He sobbed. They soon approached a mansion of a dull red brick. A weathered roof supported a bell hanging from it. It was a large, damp house. The windows were broken, the gates decayed, chickens clucking in the stables. The sheds and coach houses were overrun with grasses. Once inside, the rooms were nearly empty. There was a chill in the place. Scrooge and the ghost went across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and showed a row of desks. At one, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire. Scrooge sat down near him and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. Without an echo in the house or a noise outside, the silence fell upon Scrooge with such sadness. His tears flowed freely. The spirit touched him on the arm. He pointed to his younger self, who was intent upon his reading. Suddenly, a man in foreign garments stood outside the window. I, it's Alibaba, Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. Yes, I know. When this child was left here all alone, many of his book friends appeared. Young Scrooge spoke excitedly about Robinson Crusoe and his parrot. King princesses, look, there goes Friday running for his life from the little creek. With pity, Scrooge looked at his former self. Poor boy, he cried again. I, I wish, muttered Scrooge. He didn't finish his thought. He put his hand in his pocket and looked about him. He rubbed his eyes dry. It's too late now. What troubles you? asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I would have liked to give him something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully. He waved his hands. Let's see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words. The room became a little darker and a little dirtier. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell off the ceiling. How this was brought on, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct. Everything had happened, and it looked as it had many years before. 
There he was alone again, with all the other boys traveling home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now. Instead, he was pacing up and down the floor. Scrooge looked at the ghost and mournfully shook his head. He glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened. A little girl, much younger than the boy, darted in. She threw her arms around his neck and called him her dear, dear brother. I have come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child. She clapped her tiny hands. To bring you home. Home, little fan, asked the boy. Yes, said the child. Home for good. Home forever and ever. Father is so much kinder now. Home is like heaven. He spoke to me so gently one night, so gently that I wasn't afraid to ask him if you might come home. He said, yes. He sent me in a coach to bring you home. We're going to have the merriest time in the world. You are quite a woman, little fan, said the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed. Then she dragged him towards the door. A terrible voice called out over the hall. Bring down Master Scrooge's box. It was the schoolmaster. He glared at Scrooge. But Fanny bid him a quick goodbye, and then they were off at last. Always so delicate a creature, said the ghost, but she had a large heart. So she had, cried Scrooge. You're right, a huge heart. She died a woman, but she had children, I believe. One child, said Scrooge. True, the ghost said. Your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy. He answered softly, yes. Although they had just left the school a minute before, they were now on a busy street. It was easy to see by the store windows that it was Christmas again. It was evening. All the shops were lit. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door. Do you know where we are? Know it, said Scrooge. I was apprenticed here. They went in. At the sight of an old gentleman in a wig, Scrooge cried out in great excitement. Why, it's old Fezwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezwig, alive again! Old Fezwig laid down his pen. He looked at the clock. He rubbed his hand and called out, Yo, 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 Ebenezer, Dick. Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came to follow his own apprentice. Dick Wilkins, said Scrooge to the ghost. Bless him. Yes, that's him. He was quite attached to me. Poor Dick. Dear poor Dick. My boys, said Feswick, no more work tonight. It's Christmas Eve. Let's put the shutters up. You wouldn't believe how fast the shutters went up. One finished, and Feswick shouted, Let's clear the way, my lads. Within a minute, every movable was packed off. The floor was swept. Fuel was heaped upon the fire. The warehouse was snug and warm. Within an instant, it turned into a ballroom. The fiddler arrived with his music book. Then Miss Feswick came in. Her smile glowed. The door opened to find servants, maids, bakers, all joining the party. What a festive evening it was. There was dancing. Everyone shared the finest mince pies and cold roast. When the clock struck eleven, the ball broke up. Mr. and Miss Feswick took their stations on either side of the floor. As each person left, they shook hands and wished each guest a Merry Christmas. When everyone retired but the two apprentices, they did the same with them. When their cheery voices faded, the lads were left to their beds under the counter in the shop. During the whole scene, Scrooge acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul soared in the scene with his former self. He remembered everything. He enjoyed everything. It wasn't until he could no longer see his former self and Dick that he remembered the ghost. 
When he looked at it in the light, upon its head it burned clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly fools so full of gratitude. Small, said Scrooge. The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices. They were pouring their hearts out in praise of Fegswig. The ghost questioned Scrooge. Fezwig spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is it that much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, angry at the remark. He sounded more like his former self, not his later self. It isn't that, spirit, he said. He has powers, the power to make us happy or unhappy. He can make our heart light or heavy. Say that his power lies in the word and look. The happiness he gives is quite as great as the cost of a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What's the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing particular, said Scrooge. Something, I think. No, said Scrooge. Not really. I just wish I could say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. His former self turned down the lamps. Scrooge and the ghost once again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, said the spirit. Those words produced an immediate effect, for again Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face didn't yet show the years of the wrinkles it carried now. He was not alone. By his side was a young woman crying. It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. You fear the world too much. You crave money too much. It's too important to you. I'm not changed towards you, said the man. She shook her head. Are you not? Our contract was an old one when we were content with what we had. When it was made, you are another man. I was just a boy, he said impatiently. I can't stay with you. I can't marry you. You are too changed, too concerned with the worldly things. She turned and walked away. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Scrooge remembered all too well the sadness he felt that day. Spirit, take me away from this. Show me no more. Why do you delight in torturing me? One shadow more, said the ghost. No more, cried Scrooge. No more. I do not wish to see any more. But the ghost insisted. Soon they were in another place, a room. It was not a very large or handsome room, but it was full of comfort. Near to the fire sat a beautiful young girl. Scrooge believed it to be the same girl he was to marry. Then he saw the woman seated across from her. Now she was a comely matron. The noise was high, for there were three children in the room. No one seemed to care about the noise. Contrary, the mother and the daughter seemed to enjoy it. A knocking at the door was heard. Their father's footsteps before them. His hands were full of presents. The shouts of wonder and delight rang out as each present was opened. When it became quieter, the father sat down with the daughter and the mother. Belle, said the husband with a smile, I saw an old friend of yours today. They both laughed at the same time and shouted, Scrooge! Mr. Scrooge it was, said the husband. I passed his office window. He had a candle burning. I could hardly help seeing him. His partner lies near death. Yet he sits alone in there, quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broke voice, remove me from this place. I told you, these were the shadows of things that have been, said the ghost. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me, Scrooge said once more. I cannot bear it. Not another second can I take. He turned upon the ghost. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. Scrooge observed that his light was burning extra bright. He felt it was, in some way, influencing him. He seized the cap and pressed it down upon his spirit's head. The spirit dropped beneath it, and so the cap covered him in whole form. 
No matter how hard Scrooge pressed it down, it could not hide the light that streamed from under it. Scrooge was aware of the feeling of exhaustion. He saw he was back in his own bedroom. He gave the cap one last parting squeeze. Finally, his hand relaxed. He fell into bed and sank into a heavy sleep. Thank you so much for joining me in my library. I'm so happy I got to read chapters 1 and 2 with you. On Tuesday, December 15th, we'll be reading chapters 3 and 4 of A Christmas Carol, and we'll finish the book on December 22nd. There's a very special episode that will air on December 21st. The book I'll be reading on the 21st will air for a short period of time, so make sure that you tune in to listen to that special episode. 